Welcome to the Intimacy Connection Talk Show, where women discover all the ways this is their time for love, companionship, and extraordinary intimacy. Featuring co-hosts Jacqueline Lopez and Michael Russer, who are international speakers, authors, and thought leaders in the areas of advanced human sexuality and relationships. So get ready to turn up the heat from hot flash to red hot romance. Um, uh, condition, you, uh, how we achieve um, uh, extraordinary intimacy. So, Philip uh, has um, some context here. Yeah, <clears throat> Philip, I am an ongoing survivor of two forms of cancer, uh, one of which mm. is prostate prostate cancer, and yep. uh, that has left me clinically impotent. And so when Jacqueline and I met uh, over five years ago, and it became clear that we are going to be more than just hiking buddies, uh, I had to declare uh-huh. to her that... You know, I pointed to my crotch and I said, sweetie, this isn't working very well and it may never work. Are you open to exploring other ways of being intimate? Not really knowing uh-huh. what that was about. Um, and I did a TEDx on this uh, going on three years ago um, and it's been seen by over 50,000 people where I declare that my impotence has been and continues to be the biggest blessing to our intimacy mm-hmm. because I no longer have the... Uh, the urge that comes over every, almost every male when they have an erection uh, to use it and use it now. And so yeah. that allows me to slow down and be extraordinarily present for Jacqueline and please her in the way that she prefers, which I find to be the greatest um, <laughs> greatest payoff uh, for a man, period, is to know that he can please her, his woman like no other. And so it's a very unusual context, and it's a, sto- it's a story we share with, with uh, survivors and partners all around the country as we go speaking. Yeah. And... Uh, uh, and the medical community, uh, and it's interesting, the medical community is far more squeamish about this than than the patients and survivors. And it's a message that actually uh, resonates with people who have no physical limitations because, you know, men were designed for one thing, and that's to inseminate as many women uh, and as often as possible to propagate the species. Uh, and uh, whether they're 20 or, you know, 80, they, they see it kind of the same way. Now, I'm generalizing, of course. Uh, and then women, however, their expression and... and uh, desire. And, well, not the desire so much. The desire is still there, I think. I think it's they're, they're how they want it expressed shifts as they go from childbearing years to pre and postmenopausal years and um and that's where a lot of relationships start falling apart because man's going well well, I worked before what's going on and uh so it's 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 an interesting thing it it this journey that we were on uh, and continue to be on has just revealed incredible insights into the inner workings of of relationships and especially within the context of uh, sexual intimacy. Wow, um, so lovely to uh, to hear your story. And there's so many things that come to me um, uh, that, that came to me as you were speaking. Um, I just uh, just just to give you a little bit of context, I was just in a car accident about two months ago, and so I've been. Um, um, it, not in the same way as you've been, uh, you've had limitations imposed on you, but uh, I haven't been able to walk. And it's the blessing that came out of this is to be able to slow down and receive for me. And yes. uh, what I'm hearing, what I'm hearing you say is uh, is being impotent or being uh, or not being able to have an erection has created an opportunity for you to discover your sexuality in a completely different way. Oh um, yeah, not not just different, but far superior to anything either of us yeah. have ever yeah. had before. He, uh, Philip, he currently have a full body orgasms, uh, yeah. uh, far beyond what uh, normal men have, and no, men don't know uh, these things. So yeah. this is the best kept yeah. secret from yeah. us. They don't know it's possible, <laughs> and it, you, you try to describe this to a man who has a normal ejaculatory response, and they they look yeah. at you like what? And uh, but I, I've had men reach out to me who have gone through a prostatectomy and who, uh-huh. with the removal of the prostate, you, you can't ejaculate anymore. And uh, they said, oh, my God. Oh, my God. I just well, I just had what you talk about. You got to tell all yeah. men about this. <laughs> yeah, I often tell men that if they if they could skip the whole, uh, you know, um, the whole sort of uh, physical you know, engagement of, of intercourse and the ejaculation, they could skip that 
they could actually go into a much more complex experience. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it, it's, and it's, it, I would, I would liken it, even though I've, I've never been in a woman's body, but I would liken it to, uh, the, 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 the process through which a woman goes, to, uh, the process through which she goes to find her own orgasm. So if a man didn't have the ejaculation, then they would, they would explore a lot longer. They would be a lot oh, more subtle. Yes. And everything would change. And actually, I've had an experience that is similar to that um, recently where I was with a lover and uh, we were engaging. And for whatever reason, uh, I would not be, I was, wasn't able to get an erection. And for the whole night, uh, we were able to explore. And she thanked me. She thanked me at the end. She said, wow, it was so great. There was no pressure on my part. Right. And you were so open to playing because the sensations were still present. Just no erection. And That's I'm 46 right. right now, and that happens a little bit more, maybe because of emotions or because the, the inner animal isn't raging quite as hard as he used to. <laughs> and these are all opportunities to rediscover sexuality. And uh, oh, it's, uh, yeah. yes. yes, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, absolutely. And. And the orgasms I have now, uh, and, and I have no testosterone either because that's part of the treatment. Uh, and so I have technically no libido, but, um, I am still able to have these orgasms that the only thing I can say is, is that they're similar to a woman's. I mean, they, they, they're about 10 yeah. times more powerful and they last 10 times longer. And the, uh, but that's not even the, the, that's, that's the icing on the cake for us. Yeah. The, yeah, the, the journey to get yeah. that is what is delicious oh, yeah. and juicy. Oh yeah. Yeah. And so yep. it, it, it's so much more, but it, it requires, and I think this is going to be part of what we're going to be getting into mm-hmm. later in the show. Uh, your expertise, it requires the female to be very aware and accepting and embracing of her own body yes. and sexuality. Because without that, it's not going to happen. Yes. Yeah, I completely so, agree. To, I'm sorry, go ahead. Uh, well, we just have one minute before uh, the end of this segment. And um, I just want to read what uh, Philippe is all about. He teaches men, women, and couples to develop the skills, practices, sensitivities, and qualities that that will make them better lovers and better humans. I mean, you're like on a mission to make people a better human being, right? So let's talk about how you came about this this profession. When we when we are back, we are just a few seconds um, before, before the, commercials. the commercials, and let's talk about how you came about this, uh, Philip. So we'll be back in a few seconds. Wonderful. Stay tuned. We will be back momentarily with more of the Intimacy Connection Talk Show with hosts Jacqueline Lopez and Michael Russer. It's words you never heard. Have you noticed that no matter how carefully you put the Christmas lights away, they still come out all cringle-crangled and jitterty-jitterty the next year? Christmas tree lights were invented in 1882 by Thomas Edison, and by 1900, these miniature versions of his electric light bulb were being advertised to the public. In 1895, Grover Cleveland proudly sponsored the first electrically lit Christmas tree in the White House, featuring more than a hundred multicolored lights. By the next Christmas, members of high society were hosting flambustious Christmas tree parties. Of course, in those early days, the services of a wireman had to be obtained, as many people had considered electricity as a bit of a bugaboo. It's words you never heard. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. The most effective way to manage the risk of diabetes is through a good, healthy diet and daily exercise. But you may be happy to learn that coffee can also reduce the risk of type 2 diabetes. The Archives of Internal Medicine published a study where researchers found that each additional cup of regular coffee consumed each day cut the risk of developing type 2 diabetes by 7%. They found that those who drank 3 to 4 cups a day had a 25% lower risk than those who drank 2 cups a day or less. As far as decaf is concerned, those who drank 3 to 4 cups per day lowered their risk by one-third. 
compared to those who drank none. Even tea drinkers saw a 20% lower risk if they consumed three to four cups daily compared to those that did not drink tea. So pour that extra cup of java and enjoy. I'm Annette Hammond. We are back to continue our conversation with our hosts, Jacqueline Lopez and Michael Russer, on the Intimacy Connection Talk Show. And we are back with Philippe Lewis as the founder of Exquisite Love. And we want to know more about how you came about this uh, very, uh, uh, you know, uh, interesting profession and very very useful for men and women to become a better human being. So tell us how 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 did you decide I'm going to be a um, a sex coach or or um, uh, t- tell me a love coach maybe a love coach um, yes yes wow this is going to be this is going to be an interesting uh, sort of sh- bit of sharing um, many years ago um, I was invited to support the creation of an event that would allow people to explore in the realms of love, intimacy, relationships, sensuality, mm-hmm. and sexuality. And it mm-hmm. started out, you know, some people have probably heard of, of events that are similar but different, such, for example, like a swinger party or a sex mm-hmm. club. Uh, but what we wanted to create is something that will allow people to explore in a much more conscious way. Uh, it, and, and feel safe doing it. So it's less about sex and more about the exploration of all the things I mentioned. Mm-hmm. And so as we, as we started to create the event and we did more of these events, people would come to us with questions. And they mm-hmm. would come to us saying, well, how, how do I show up at an event like this? How do I ask for someone? How do I ask someone uh, that I want to engage with? Uh, how do I do consent? How do I make mm-hmm. requests? Are my needs... Uh, do my needs matter? How do I tell someone what my needs or what my desires are? What about my pace? What about sharing my feelings? So all of these things started showing up between, uh, between the participants. And we realized that we needed to teach people how to engage in a space like this. And so that got me interested in learning how to coach people, not just, uh, not just individuals, but also groups, uh, mm-hmm. how to go about uh, doing things like consent, pace, desires, boundaries, and also sharing feelings, and sometimes doing it verbally, but also mm-hmm. how to do it non-verbally. How do you indicate to someone what you like and what you don't like without saying a word? There's mm-hmm. all sorts of skills that when you learn them, uh, you become more intelligent in a primal way or in a somatic way, which means like touch and things like that and movement, or also emotionally, when you become more emotionally intelligent, you're able to engage at a much deeper level with people. Mm-hmm. And so that's how I became a coach around intimacy and love and relationships and sexuality. That is very interesting. And then from that, um, you became more like a, a also a private coach, like you uh, coach that's individually. Right. Not just, I mean, the, the events are more like a group um, uh, environment, but you also... Uh, a coach, um, individual uh, people come to you. You also coach them uh, over the phone. Tell, tell me more about how you do uh, uh, more like a personal coaching. Okay, so um, well, um, in the as for the event itself, the the um, the job is more about creating the right container, and then sometimes people would come to me and with questions. But then after that, I started teaching classes, that would be more of a structured way of teaching rather than an unstructured container where people can explore um, with each other. And then there's the third, the third piece is teaching people one-on-one. Um, there are things that you can't just tell people like uh, quickly, well, this is how you do consent. There needs to be a longer conversation and a lot of practice so that people get it. Um, something mm-hmm. like emotional intelligence, for example, is not something you can just teach a man or, or, or a person in 10 minutes. Emotional intelligence is, that, is a much deeper sort of um, much deeper and much more nuanced uh, kind of practice. I mean, same thing for touch. And so, um, and, and so now people come to me and they have questions around, like, how do I engage with my lover? And how do I engage with my partner? Or how do I flirt? Um, how do I say, um, how do I engage in a way that will make the other person feel empowered to respond well? In this day and age of, me too, the, with the Me Too campaign and movement, it's especially mm-hmm. important for people to, 
to engage consen- uh, consensually. And then what does that mean consensually? Is it just saying yes or no? Or is there a deeper and more nuanced conversation that happens between two people when we speak about uh, their desires, their boundaries, uh, their pace, and also the feelings that arise? Like, how do you mm-hmm. maintain a good connection? Because really, it's all about connection in the end. Mm-hmm. So it could be said that in the end, if you bring all of these things I mentioned together, really what I teach people and I coach people uh, is how to connect, both with their own bodies and their own heart and mm-hmm. their own animal, and also with each other in a way that feels good, in a way that feels safe enough, because sometimes things show up that are a little surprising, a little bit more edgy. But how do I stay in that place of edginess and still explore in a safe way? You know what I noticed, uh, Philip, that um, people are more open to admit that they are uh, ignorant in this arena in, in terms of sexuality. Um, and, and I say that because the last uh, guest we had last Friday was a millennial. And he said, we are now willing to go about life without knowing these things anymore. You know, the, yeah. the, the millennials are, are are not going to live with their partner for, uh, you know, like, and become uh, a um, our roommates, like our parents were, like the the baby boomers, like um, Michael can can uh, attest uh, yeah. that. I mean, he lived with his ex wife for this many years, just like a brother and sisters, right? And yeah, the last eleven years of a twenty six year marriage, and it was by mutual consent. Uh. We lost all emotional intimacy, which is the first thing mm. to go in a in a uh, committed relationship. And uh, but we remain faithful to our to our vows. Uh, I just threw myself into my work, and she threw herself into taking care of the kids. And when our youngest son went off to college, I took off my ring, and uh, so that was eleven years, uh, eleven very dry years. And a year later, I met Jacqueline, mm-hmm. and so. Yeah, and also what I see is, I observe is vulnerability. People are willing to, to admit, you know, like, I, I don't know this, but I mean, you, you were telling us, I mean, so basic stuff that people, you you think they will know, but they don't know because the parents don't want to talk to them about sex and intimacy. Yeah. They, they cringe to the idea. And they don't teach us these things in school. So are people like you uh, out there that are able to, to teach us how to, to how to be human? This is part of being human, right? Absolutely. <laughs> it's impo- it's uh, what I what people don't realize at first is that they think sex is just you just do it. Uh, but what I've discovered over the year, over my years of exploration, is if I do it for if I do it enough, if I get into the practice, if I uh, if I engage um, my lovers or my partners uh, by saying, well, I want to explore with you, then, uh, then it opens up a space to try things and make mistakes and then talk about it later and, and not feel shame or guilt. And I think that's one of the latest discovery, uh, especially with millennials, is that they're like, well, I can learn anything. I, I, they have the Internet. They can go anywhere on the Internet and learn whatever they want. We didn't have that mm-hmm. before the Internet. There was libraries. And there was, uh, there was experts and, uh, or there was radio shows like we're having right now. And people mm-hmm. would learn that way. But nowadays you can learn anything for free. And it just, uh, it creates a, a terrain, uh, where exploration is okay. And, mm-hmm. uh, and that's why, that, that's where I show up. I just tell people, okay, this is going to take a while to learn. It's okay. You can be, we can hang out together or you can be in a group or you can be in a container of exploration like I was speaking earlier. And, um, and just be all, everyone's in the same place. And there's mm-hmm. no shame in taking it one step at a time. There's no need to be anywhere other than where you are. And, uh, right. and that, be, that really allows people to relax and, uh, and feel like they, uh, feel like they can go at their own pace. You know, every time we get in uh, in front of an audience, uh, we declare that we're, we are now entering a guilt and shame free zone where the conversation starts. Now, mm-hmm. and it, it beca- people feel released. They, they they actually feel like oh, cool, you know, oh. because they've been feeling this this guilt and shame, and um, you know, just to change the the direction just a little bit here, Philippe, um, Jacqueline was telling me you work with a lot of women who literally do not know They're their own body down there. They're, yeah. they're, I call it a basement. 
Yeah. They, 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 uh, they completely forgot the basement and never went there. It's dusty, it's rusty, and <laughs> <laughs> it's piled up with feelings yeah. and emotions, yeah. and they just forgot about it. Yeah, and, and, and a lot of women is, literally do not understand their own sexuality or sensuality. I, I knew this. Sometimes they, they don't even know where their clitoris is. Oh, yeah, I know. I know. Well, I knew this. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to tell you this story. This just blew me away. This um, young 30-year-old woman who was very sexually active was afraid um, uh, to use tampons because she thought that would prevent her from being able to pee. Uh, wow. Uh-huh. Right? Right? Yeah. Uh-huh. I says, what? <laughs> well, <I'm> so, what? <laughs> She went to college, it, it, right? Yeah, she went to college. Oh, she was very bright too. I mean, <laughs> God, oh my God! So that's what you have to deal with, Philippe. <laughs> I fully uh, agree. And at the so same, what, I mean, I'd uh, love to hear some of the more interesting stories that you run into about what women. You know, oh my God, I didn't know. When do you start? You know, like you show them a picture of of, of their vagina and and go. You know, like a teacher will go with a ruler. You know, no. you show but we so, have two um, minutes, so if we can if, if we can uh, tell us in a couple of minutes how you just, just start. A, well, that or just a really quick story that you that really stands out from the rest. So there's, a, uh, there's this thing I do called sexological body work. There's a, there's a new name for it now. Um, but basically where, 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 where I stand in this case is somewhere in between massage, like a massage therapist, and, and a, a psychotherapist. There's, there's this whole landscape in between where, where somebody needs, uh, uh, when somebody needs support to discover their own body, well, the therapist will do that, but without, without touch. And a massage therapist, their job is to not go there. So that space in between is a space where uh, where women can come to me and say, I don't know my own body or, I, or I've never had an orgasm. And right. and instead of doing this for the lover who would just who just trying to get to, for the goal, trying to get in their pants and trying to go uh, get to the orgasm as quickly as possible. I create a space of non-judgment where I can support them in a, in a more therapeutic environment where we can actually explore and in, Sometimes, and we use touch. It's one-way touch. There's uh, it's with gloves and everything, mm-hmm. um, and it creates a space where there's no pressure. And then we start to do an exploration of sensations, outside, inside, really slowly without shame, and where women can say, "Oh, okay, this is enough, or this is a little too much, yeah. or how does this feel?" So it's a, it's really a simple way for people to feel safe in their exploration, but with touch. Yeah, we'll be back at the commercial, and uh, we will continue. This is juicy. I want to hear more about this part. All right. Stay tuned. We will be back momentarily with more of the Intimacy Connection talk show with hosts Jacqueline Lopez and Michael Russer. was growing up in Wisconsin, no matter how frigid it was outside, my Uncle Bob never seemed to get cold. He would come in from the snow wearing a t-shirt and remark how fresh it was outside. Then again, folks from Wisconsin are a pretty hardy bunch. As America's official dairy state, the cows have been known to give ice cream instead of milk when the temperatures drop. What's a word for a giant snowball that is formed by rolling a smaller one through a field of snow? Hog-a-ma-dog. Megla is an old Scots word meaning to trudge laboriously through the snow. And mufflements is an old Lancashire word for thick, warm, insulating clothes and gloves. Don't forget that you shouldn't try and send text messages if you're standing out in the cold. It can lead to typothermia. It's marching I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. There is so much to say about losing weight, but there's even more to say about maintaining that weight loss. Many people tell me they have lost the same 15 pounds over and over again. The goal is to not only lose the excess weight, but it's also keeping it off. The National Weight Control Registry found four types of behavior common with their successful participants. One, eating a low-fat, high-carb diet. Two, eating breakfast almost every day. Three, frequent self-monitoring of weight. 
and four, participation in a high level of physical activity. By embracing these four actions in your life, you too can be successful at maintaining your weight loss. Living a healthy life full of daily exercise will help you keep the excess weight off. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond, keeping you healthy, happy, and fit. We are back to continue our conversation with our hosts, Jacqueline Lopez and Michael Russer, on the Intimacy Connection Talk Show. And we are back with our guest, Philippe Lewis, uh, founder of Exquisite Love. And Michael, have um, uh, some comments? Yeah, I have a question. So in, in the work that you were just describing just before the end of the last segment, Philippe, um, I would imagine that it's in some cases uh, you would assist the woman to experience an orgasm. Is, is, that, is that accurate? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Uh, now, and it's strictly for educational purposes. Oh, oh no, no, no. I understand. Say, oh, that. yeah. No, no. I'm not. I'm not creating any judgment <laughs> here. Um, but yeah, totally. my point is, is that, is that uh, it's been pretty well documented that when a woman climaxes, uh, uh, there's this flood of oxytocin that that'll that'll flood her brain, which could cause attachment. That's why we sometimes tell women not to to not to, to jump in, jump the, in sack the sack with the, the, somebody the, after the, the you know yeah, the first exactly. or second date because, because you want to form a bond. Right. With him. Yeah. And and so you know we we take the position that you always you always form a deep foundation of, of emotional intimacy first before going in before uh, sexual relations uh, okay. unless it's unless it's um, you know you just you just want to experience something. But do you ever run into the issue of where someone you help uh they do climax and then they uh they start uh having feelings for you uh or or some signs of attachment did you ever run into that i i can't say that that has been uh that's been one of my experiences but uh, i could see it i could absolutely see it happening and the way the way i engage with with women in this case is uh is we we have like a really clear conversation this is mm-hmm. what we're going to explore this is what it's going to be about feelings might show up I would say uh, more than anything else, the feelings that arise are, are often feelings, uh, uh, you know, feelings of sadness or feelings of, or sometimes there's painful sensations. Uh, it's often things that have been sort of held back inside that is relief uh, more often than the feelings of attachment. So that's mostly what we explore is what comes up when they uh, finally get to the, or- to that, the orgasm that they've all, that they've that they haven't had for a long time or that they've been wanting to, uh, they want wanting to have for the first time or, or when they, when there's sensations that they feel inside or, or even outside that, that connects to painful experiences. And that's mm-hmm. where having someone who can, who can, who, who can be, uh, who can engage in that conversation, like what happened, how are you feeling about that? And, and sort of coach them and counsel them towards a, uh, uh, towards a, uh, basically a good place of integration of these, uh, of these things that come up, uh, and trauma also might come up as well. So right. everything is done very slowly, very consciously, uh, and very much going uh, going according to uh, to the client. And the client is always driving. Uh, mm-hmm. What I tell people is, I, I'm not driving. This is all about you and what feels right to you. And we can stop at any point. And it's a, and it's a, just that in and of itself is a huge revelation for a lot of women. They say, Oh God, we haven't even, I haven't even put my hands on them. And they're already thinking, wow, this is better than, than my experience with most men. Because right. most men are just trying to get what they want. And just for me to say, well, how would you like to be touched now? And sometimes it's just about getting simple touch on a shoulder or in another part of the body it has nothing to do with the, with the genitals. And, mm-hmm. uh, and that exploration by itself is usually healing. They finally mm-hmm. get to, to look at, well, how do I feel? What do I want? And sometimes women don't know. They'll say, I don't know how I would like, uh, I would like to be touched. And then I just sit there with them with no pressure. And I say, well, let's just, let's just wait. Let's just see. You know, maybe, maybe something will pop up. And usually something does. Yeah. Yeah. No, I definitely see the the value in this uh because uh, again, it's been our experience that so many women, uh, far too many, 
have no clue about who they are as sexual beings. And there's often a lot of fear and, as you said, pain. And they, and they their entire life have been on the passenger seat where the man is the one that runs the show and, and she's just like a passive. And, 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 and yep. in this case, you put them in the, in the driver's seat and they feel more confident mm-hmm. and, yes. and, and yeah and they acquire new, new new behavior so they can take that to the world when they have a, a real relationship and you know and one I, of the things one of the things we teach Philippe is that uh, when we speak to groups whether they're survivors or just you know uh, people right having nothing to do with cancer is that it's really um, it's it's conducive to have a an incredible experience in the bedroom if the woman is the one who takes charge and um, and and uh, you know and and of course the man is willing to follow what she uh, is requesting and, and suggesting and that's that's very difficult for men some men uh, maybe a lot of men and um, which is unfortunate and causes a lot of the problems uh, and you know you get into situations where uh, even in married couples, uh, you know, if the, if the husband, you know, comes up and gives his wife a kiss, she shirks away thinking, oh, he just wants sex when he may be, you know, just wanting to express emotional intimacy. And, and so, yeah, it's just so messed up. <laughs> it's just Society really, messed it's up. really messed up. Here's the thing. We, we live in a society where toxic masculinity is prevalent. Um, yeah. Boys are are that to be a man, you need to want sex. You need right. to be less emotional. You need to want sex. You need to be yeah, be able to at least express something that looks primal when it's, if it's not primal by itself, it could look like it. And, uh, and of course, women are socialized to please. And so the result is these engagements and these interactions that just don't feel good to either of them. We mm-hmm. think we know men's sexuality, but, uh, uh, but, but you were just explaining to me how not being able to get an erection has completely transformed your sexuality. So we really don't know too much about men's sexuality and women's sexuality. And to create the space uh, for both of them to to have uh, to have the time and the uh, and the and the space to uh, to explore each other is probably one of the best things that we can do for uh, to create healthy masculinity and healthy femininity. Yeah, I, I, I look one of your um, uh, courses, uh, Philippe, and uh, I'm curious about attachment theory, a new way to look at relationship and intimacy. Mm. So, oh, yeah, so that what is, is that a, one about? That is a big topic. I'm going to give you the, 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 the main points of it. So, um, so it, um, attachment theory uh, is, a, is a theory of, in psychology that basically states that in the first 12 months, of a, of a baby's life, they develop a strategy for trying to survive, um, mm-hmm. because, especially because they're very vulnerable. And mm-hmm. so, so there's a, so there's a, can it be a, 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 depending on their, in, their interactions with their parents, mm-hmm. they might develop a, a, what's called a secure attachment style, which means that they're, that if the parent leaves the room, they, they might get upset a little bit, but then they'll sort of regulate their own emotions and be, basically be okay. Um, and then when the parent comes back, they'll be happy. But there's also a possibility for developing an, an insecure attachment style. Mm-hmm. And there's two of those primarily. One of them is anxious, which basically says that a baby would say that if the parent leaves the room, the baby learns really quickly that if they, if they cry a lot harder and they scream a lot harder, they'll get their attention and the parent will come and take care of them. And there's the avoidant attachment style, which basically means that the baby learns in the first 12 months that even if they cry or even if they scream, it doesn't really seem to matter. It doesn't seem to make a difference. And so they learn to actually stop crying, even though they're really missing their parents. And that's mm-hmm. it. so that, that avoidant attachment style is, is basically one of developing a relationship to needs where needs don't matter. And for an anxious person, it's about the more needs you have and the more you express them, the more you get attention. And for a secure person, it's just developing a, more, developing a more balanced version of this. And so if you can, if you can discover your attachment style, and there's questionnaires all over the Internet uh, to discover that, and there's a book called Attached. Uh, mm-hmm. That is sort of the basic introduction to that concept. Mm-hmm. If you can discover your attachment style, especially if you realize that you're insecure, 
you can recognize your patterns and the patterns of your partners and engage with them without blame. To be able to say, oh, I recognize that this is your pattern and this is my pattern and, and let's just work on this together. Hmm. So knowing about attachment theory will, will re- really does support, and I find this in my coaching as well, uh, it does support a more graceful engagement between two people or between a single person and how they engage in the world. Mm-hmm. So when someone comes to you, how do you know about their past? Because they're, they're, they bring a lot of baggages, but um, how do you know if they were abandoned when they were kids or so they're traumatized or being abandoned? Like women usually, you know, fake orgasm uh, to keep their men uh, close, uh, especially uh, during childbearing age. Uh, so she pleased the man. She said, oh, yeah, I love the way you, you make love to me. I mean, this is fun. This is good. But it's not good. But she doesn't admit it because she's thinking, I'm going to be abandoned if I tell them how I feel about this. Well, uh, it just so happens that uh, the greatest fear of an anxious attachment, uh, the, somebody who's have as, an, uh, as an anxious attachment style is the fear of being abandoned. Mm-hmm. Uh, culturally, uh, culturally in the U.S., uh, more women than men have an anxious attachment style. Uh, partially, it's because the way things are set up uh, in terms of, of, of the, the culture and sort of a who, who leads and who follows and who pleases who. Uh, for a man, it's more culturally uh, prevalent for a man to, be, to have an avoided attachment style. That's the sort of the quintessential lone wolf, stoic, uh, has no needs, but, but basically needs his needs to be met all the time and also less emotionally um, present. Versus the woman who's more emotionally present. And so culturally, you see more women who are anxious and more men who are avoidant. And it creates also a really intense, um, intense combination when the two of them are together. Uh, because it creates a lot of tension. And that tension can translate into um, sexual tension, at least at first. But mm-hmm. after a while, that kind of tension is also is not sustainable. It becomes painful. It becomes more mm-hmm. difficult. And so you see a lot of couples where their relationship kind of dies off sexually or emotionally after a while. That's right. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're basically, their profiles are perfect for the relationship not to work out. That's right. Yeah, for it to be volatile and be very difficult over time. And that's why learning attachment theory um, with a therapist or with a coach or with a counselor uh, can really lead to a much happier life where, where both people can learn to become more secure by not only learning to balance with each other, kind of like in a dance where both people have bad balance and learning to balance better on their own. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it makes people happier. Yes. Wow. <laughs> I'm learning a lot, believe. So we'll be back after the commercial with more juicy stuff from Philippe Lewis. Stay tuned. We will be back momentarily with more of the Intimacy Connection Talk Show with hosts Jacqueline Lopez and Michael Russer. It's words you never heard. We have a book titled The Art of Doing Nothing by Veronica Vienne in our guest room by the bed. I'm telling you, this book is an impossible challenge. In the state of Maine, it's said that someone who bottoms chairs for a living is lazy, presumably because one's bottom is perpetually in the chair. To sozzle means to laze around or perform a task in a sloppy way. The word is mainly found in New England. A quote from 1848 describes the term as used by housekeepers in certain parts of Connecticut to refer to a lazy person. Other words for lazy people are abbey lubbers, scabberlatchers, and slaughter pooches. To me, the ultimate loblolly is someone who is too lazy to even fake like they're working. It's words you never heard. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Word. Reaching out from the heartland of the United States with quality programming, this is Tokinet Radio. Would you like to know how to bring more ease to all the decisions you need to make in life? Knowing your core values is the first step in Joyce's free live masterclass. You'll discover your top five core values 
in as little as 45 minutes. Join her now at freegiftfromjoyce.com. We are back to continue our conversation with our hosts, Jacqueline Lopez and Michael Russer, on the Intimacy Connection Talk Show. In this segment, we are going to talk with Philippe about how usually women are the ones who feel that something is off in the relationship, something is not working, and I want to deal with this. Uh, because women have no issues in terms of uh, vulnerability. We, we just have, are equipped to, you know, not, not, we don't have that, that, uh, tension between all, like men have a hard time admitting and being vulnerable that something is not working. I don't know how it works and I'm willing to be taught. Um, a man tr- always tried to, uh, you know, I know it all. Or I don't need any manual instruction. Oh, My, there's no problem. There's, there's no, no problem. problem. Yeah. yeah. There's no problem until she leaves. Yeah. I, I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard that one. It's like, I thought everything was fine. And next thing I know, she wants a divorce. <laughs> Big revelation. Uh huh. Yeah. Exactly. So the uh, women come to you and they're they're ready. I mean, she's she's healed. She's she's you know ready to roll. But the men are still in the same in the same, in the same uh, spot when she left, and now she has to go home or she has to go to the relationship, and so. How do you square that with uh, the continuing their relationship with the same person when they are not in the same page? Yes. Uh, well, I, I couldn't help. I couldn't help think uh, as you were describing the situation. I, I couldn't help think, wow, this is the the perfect avoidant attachment style person would say exactly that. I don't. I don't know what's wrong. There's nothing wrong. Uh, that's why it's also called often dismissive, avo- uh, dismissive avoidance. Um, now, all of this to say that our that our society and our culture is telling men you should know everything and you should be everything should be fine because mm-hmm. it's your job to make everything okay. And okay. that when that is being questioned, that's your manhood being questioned, and there's that's a right. lot of shame that comes along with that. So for a man, it's interesting. I get a lot more women coming to me saying, "Can you teach my man?" Can you tell my man this? And, 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 and I've got all these skills that I've learned as a man and I could teach other men, but very few men come to me directly <laughs> for that exact reason. And I've yeah. got, yeah, because, yeah, because they're admitting that some other men know more than they, they oh, do. Then you and get into the whole competitive thing. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's, you know, I, I work very closely with a group called the Mankind Project USA. I don't oh, know if you're, wonderful. Yes, yeah, yeah, and I, I, um, uh, I, and, and it, it, when I went to the new warrior training adventure, it completely transformed my, my relationship actually with other men. That's the where I had problems with. And yeah. uh, fortunately, I did it three weeks before Jacqueline and I met, and I often say that if I hadn't done that work, there's no way we'd wow. be still together. And so, so I am very cognizant of the, you know, of this work and, and how men, you know, it, it's, well, a lot of the problems we see in the world today, especially, you know, lately is due to the, due to, um, repression of the emotions that all men have. And, yes. and, 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 and this whole sense of you either dominate, you know, either eat or be eaten kind of, kind of approach to life. And it is, uh, you know, if we keep going that way, we're not going to have a society to even solve these other problems. We're going to end up destroying ourselves. And it's so it is really time for men to get in touch. Now, again, what we have found, Philippe, is that millennial men seem to be much more open to their feelings, open to connection, to connection and, and exploring these things, uh, which is, <laughs> thank God, is happening. Uh, and and they challenge everything. I mean, they they just freaking challenge everything you say, and and that's mm-hmm. a good thing, you know. They don't, they're they don't they don't they don't just accept things. Like my parents accepted the Catholic Church, and uh, they my dad on his deathbed um, 
uh, said, you know, he told his best friend, he said, uh, Werner, I think I pushed him too hard. And uh, what, what a thing, what a, you know, what a thing to say on your, on your deathbed to realize that, you know, by giving up your power, giving up your, your sense of, of, of uh, own responsibility, not addressing your own, re- uh, own emotions, uh, you go out that way and it's sad, uh, but a lot of men were that way back then. And, uh, the baby boomers, um, a little bit less so, but still quite a bit. And now with this, with the millennials, we're seeing a big shift, I think. And that's a good thing. So how do you deal with, with that type of situation, uh, where she is ready and he's not? And I mean, do you tell him, well, maybe you should be looking another partner or something, right? Because if you're not. Well, here's the situation that we're in. We're in the, we're in the situation, in the, these situations are basically where, where the man uh, do, often doesn't have the emotional intelligence or, or the emotional literacy, some people call it mm-hmm. that way, to actually feel not only his own feelings where, uh, of, of things that are not working, at least not until, not until so much that, that he explodes, but he also can't feel how the relationship is not going well. Um, and so trying to explain to someone that there's something going on that they can't feel, but their, but their wife can feel, their partner can feel, is, is difficult because you have to admit that you're blind in some way. You have to admit that, that uh, there's something missing in your, in your capacity to see and feel the world. And, and, if, and, and if they can see that and they can get past the shame or the, the shame of basically not knowing everything or, or not, being, not being able to be in charge, and if they can feel that and get past the shame especially in an environment, and that's what I try to create, an environment where there's nothing wrong. There's just where you're at. And if right. you can get past the shame, then you, you see the opportunity to learn a new skill. That's how I tell men. Like, I say, imagine that for you, emotions is like opening a, a book written in Chinese and just figuring out any word would take a long time. Mm. And so what we're going to teach you is just a whole new way of reading a situation or a way to feel uh, that maybe you don't have yet. It's kind of lo- it's like learning to dance. And then when they see it as a, as a doing, as a, as a form of skill to be learned, then they're like, oh, okay, that's like learning to play an instrument, or that's like learning a new computer software. Okay, I can do that. And then, of course, uh, what I require or what I, what I request of their wife or their, their partner is to realize that this is going to be a very, very slow process. It's like learning to dance if you've never danced before. You've been educated your whole life to not know, to not know how to dance with emotions, and now you're going to start. And there's going to be a whole lot more of what's been happening before there's something new. To, so it's, like it's going to be more like not, you know, one step forward, nine steps, nine steps backward, and then it's going to be two steps forward, eight steps backwards. And eventually you're going to turn the corner. But before you get to that point, there's going to be a whole lot of confusion and a whole lot of which foot do I dance on and, and, and what does it mean to, and when men start to feel their own emotions, it kind of a, it's kind of, it's, it's heart blowing or mind blowing because they realize that all this time they haven't been feeling things that were really perhaps very hard for them. And they start, these feelings that, that have been repressed starts to come up and it's intense. And it's, it can be like really, uh, really difficult because as they come out, the man doesn't necessarily know how to express them in a way that maybe his wife or his partner will be able to receive it. So that's why often being in a men's circle is the best thing to do. Right. Because this way, if a man has anger or rage, which will come out because everybody does have that, then other men will be able to receive it much more solidly than a woman. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Uh, God. Yeah. So many men have repressed rage. And I think the, the biggest, uh, concern they have is if I let it out, if I let that wild man out, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm going to, I'm going to take out, you know, the neighborhood, my partner. I'm yeah. going to take out everybody. I'm going to end up destroying everything. Mm-hmm. And, um, which obviously is not true, but, but that's how they feel. 
and it, that's one of their biggest fears is that the and sense control, of losing, losing control, control of that, yeah. that because of that anger and and um, without realizing that if they don't let that steam out, if they don't address it's a pressure it, cooker. it's a pressure cooker and it will blow. And and and, yep. and we, we see the evidence of that almost daily, unfortunately. Absolutely. It's a, it's really sad that we live in a world where men and boys and men are, are socialized to dismiss their emotions. I have a six-year-old, and we're every day we're teaching him about emotional intelligence because we know that he's going to be in the part of the next generation mm-hmm. of boys and men who, who will know how to engage emotionally. Maybe, maybe I wasn't taught as much, but I can teach my son, and my, my wife and partner is, is amazing as far as that's concerned. She's She'll, she'll be able to support him and feeling into his own feelings. She'll even call out possible ways that he feels so that he can say, oh, that's what it is. And there's no pressure. So I do similar things with men. In fact, a lot of the, a lot of the ways that I engage with men around emotional intelligence is by engaging with their inner child. Often the repression starts very early and, and their capacity of, of in, in terms of engaging it with emotions is kind of like that one of a child. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, we all have an inner child that, that sometimes will come out, uh, especially in partnership. And so part of, the, part of the game of partnership becomes how do we reparent each other in a way that supports us in becoming a more mature and integrating these emotions that perhaps were repressed in the past. Mm-hmm. And, and so allowing them to surface allowing them, you know, being able to uh, process these emotions, express them when they need to be expressed, and allow these emotions to become part of who we are rather than something that's just held somewhere at bay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Gosh, yeah. so much wisdom, uh, Philippe. I mean, are you planning to write a book? You need to you need to put this knowledge somewhere. I, mean, you, I know you yeah. put it on your website, but you, you have a lot to share with men and women. And uh, well, one brief uh, thing I want to touch, uh, the rite of passage for men that has been lost uh, through our ages, and that uh, men goes from a boy to becoming a man without any... Any ceremony, like in the old age, uh, has been done for millennia. So, I th- do you think that might be something that we need to go back to? You know, the rite of passage to man to manhood. Right. I think that what's important about a rite of passage is it declares a milestone. It declares that you used to be a certain way, and now you're a new way. Uh, a lot of people will will sort of declare their, their, that, they, that they've passed milestones on their own, but not always. And, mm-hmm. and the, the beauty of a rite of passage is when you can look around and say, oh, you are there to support me. You are there to support me. It creates community. It creates mm-hmm. peers. It creates a, a, a sense of belonging, uh, mm-hmm. you know, in the same way that if you've, uh, you know, like a, being a cancer survivor, for example, yeah. is a perfect example of, belonging to to a to a group now of people who've gone through a certain experience there's a sense of kinship that comes along right. with that that supports men in uh, and women when they have women's circle for example and rites of passage uh, it supports people in feeling a greater uh, greater sense of kinship with their own gender in this yeah. We are, you know, running out of time. It's amazing. We've got to get to you again. Uh, we'll be back in seven days. Thank you, Philippe. Thank you. You're welcome. We'll be returning in one week with more of the Intimacy Connection Talk Show to discuss other hot topics on intimacy and relationships with your hosts, Jacqueline Lopez and Michael Russer. You can also listen to all our previous shows on TogiNet, iTunes, and SoundCloud.